in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 77 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I am here with Andy Baggerly, and we're going to talk some draft. We had some internal discussion about whether we were going to talk draft or labor stuff, but we're just scared that something's going to catch on fire in terms of the labor stuff within the next, I don't know, five minutes, five hours. It's such a mess that it might be outdated by the time this reaches you. So we're going to go draft because that's nice and calm, except there's also awful stuff in there. How are you doing, Bags? Yes, yes. As we begin the Ray Bork version of the podcast, um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm trying to think. Now, I know that Ben Weber was a uh, an Angels reliever, a uh, member of the um, 2002 World Series team, um, who wore number 77, um, but not too many baseball 77s. So I think I'm going to have to go to the, to the blue line for, for my reference on this one. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not thinking of any baseball 77s. Let's see, there is, uh, um, yeah, I got another, Willie Rofe, Willie Rofe, tackle for the uh, uh, New Orleans Saints, Hall of Famer, That that's all okay. I got. That works. That works. But yeah, as, as you mentioned, I think we, we're just about to start recording when the news is breaking that Rob Manfred is saying, oh, you know what? Maybe there won't be a season after all because um, the players have to sign their health waivers, which maybe they don't want to do. So um, yeah, that, that situation is obviously changing. Both of us have lots of thoughts about that, but perhaps the next podcast we can have something else that's a little meatier and a little more settled to dive into. But for now, uh, like you mentioned, it was kind of fun to talk about the Giants' first-round pick on our last podcast, and now we've got, ooh, six more, six more new members of the Giants organization, and seven if you count a, a non-drafted free agent that they signed. Yeah, and it is, look, if, if, you, if you're looking for a, a quality analysis of these draft picks, like, we weren't going to give it to you with the first-round pick, and we're certainly not going to give it with the second-round picks and the third, fourth, and fifth-round picks. At the same time, you, you know, we could talk about the, the overall strategy, what it looked like from the outside. Uh, the Giants did have a, a bevy of picks, and they seem happy with what they did. It seems like they used those second round picks uh, to get some value and then really go for it with their third round pick out of De La Salle, a high school kid that they needed to buy out of his UCLA commitment. Uh, they just, uh, it's reported, they they just gave him, uh, what, two point something or other million? Yeah, like 2.5 million. And the slot value for that pick was a little over 700K. So it'll be interesting to see where they... Um, trim uh, or, or who ends up getting less money. Um, I mean, their fifth round pick, uh, the pitcher Ryan Murphy from Little Lemoyne College in Syracuse, New York. Lemoyne's baseball team, by the way, is the Dolphins because, you know, when you think of Syracuse, you think Dolphins. Um, <laughs> his, his slot value is 379K, but a, a lot of guys taken in the fourth and fifth rounds have signed for you know, very little more than the 20,000. I think they were told, look, you're not going to get drafted. You might as well 
get drafted fourth or fifth, we'll give you a little more than that. So I think a lot of teams are, are shaving a lot of money from those last couple picks. So maybe the Giants could pick up some money there. But that's clearly not going to be enough. I mean, you're going from 700000 to $2.5 million. So, you know, maybe Patrick Bailey ends up being a below slot uh, uh, signee as well, because they're going to have to scrape together that money from somewhere else in this draft class. Yeah, and I think it, what helped them is that they had three second-round picks, and with those second-round picks, you have uh, uh, the ability, you know, you've got a high value, slot value assigned to those picks, and so if you shave a little bit from all three, maybe you come to agreements. I know that the comp pick, uh, boy, I've never said this name out loud, uh, Jim Glowenke, Glow, the second-round comp pick out of Dallas Baptist, Jim Glowenke. Yes, Jimmy Glowenke. He he also uh, co-stars in um, in Big Bang Theory and uh, and and plays a little baseball on the side. That's a good. That's a good uh, Jerry Lewis. Them Glowenke. Like you know, it's it's got the it's got the Jerry Lewis vibe to it. But I think when you've got three uh, second round picks, you can maybe start thinking strategically with those, and 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 that's where you're going to get that money. But they apparently view Kyle Harrison. Uh, as something of a first round pick, kind of like a, uh, you know, someone who could have been a first round talent with a full season of high school ball. Um, but he's left-handed and I, again, I, this can't, I can't stress this enough. I'm an idiot, but it looked when I watched the video, I was like, oh, hey, now, like this kid's got a hook, like there's something going on here. And apparently the Giants agreed. Yeah. And, and, and you know, when they took the first two picks were both hitters off the board, Patrick Bailey, the switch hitting catcher from North Carolina State, they took 13th overall. And then their first pick on day two, 49th overall, Casey Schmidt from San Diego State, third baseman. You think, is this going to be another draft like last year where the first seven picks are, are or in this case, all seven picks are hitters? Uh, but they did get a good mix of pitchers in. They got um, four of them uh, in all and uh, three college kids. And, and Harrison is the only... Uh, the only prep uh, senior, high school senior that they drafted. Everybody else is a college player. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was kind of struck by just how conventional uh, this draft was. It it, it seemed kind of like a Brian Sabian draft and uh, mm. in, in a few ways. It, it, it seemed like they really just did a lot of homework, had a lot of information on certain guys, um, didn't always, you know, their picks didn't always line up. Uh, some of them looked like they were overdrafts by 100 spots or more, uh, Glowinky being one of them. Uh, but, you know, when I talked to Farhan Zaidi, I said, look, you've got names now to go with those compensation picks. You've got Nick Swinney, um, who was your comp pick for Madison Bumgarner. You've got Glowinky, who's your comp pick for Will Smith. Um, we know that you could have traded either of those players at July 31st. Some doubt as to just what kind of a meaningful return you would have gotten for those players. But, in th- I mean, teams would have traded something for them. So are you satisfied with how it all played out? And, and uh and he said, yeah, because, you know, A, we considered both those players at 49 when Casey Schmidt was taken. So we, we really like them both. We think they serve needs. And it's unfair to put that kind of pressure on them. Like, oh, you are what we have left for losing Madison Bumgarner. Um, he doesn't like that. But, you know, he said, you know, we, we served our present and our future. We were still on the fringes of contention. Bruce Bochy was obviously wanted to go out, uh, you know, as classy as, as he could. Um, so they kept Bumgarner, they kept Smith to the end. They felt that was the right thing to do, given that they had, you know, a 5% chance, 10% chance of making the playoffs at that time. And, uh, and, and they still have something to show for it and players that they like. So, 
Um, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. What's your final analysis on that whole thing? And that was Farhan's answer. What, what do you think about that? I, I think that that is incredibly fair. And she, what Zaidi said about that whole decision to hold on to the players was that it wasn't always about reaching the postseason. It was about having an interesting September. And I that really resonated with me. It was important to feel like uh, the Giants were still in it. Now, they sort of wet the bed in August and it, it took a lot of the suspense out of it. But if you were just looking for interesting baseball throughout the season, that's a goal. That is something that helps. It helps the whole vibe of the franchise, the organization. You look back at that season and say, yeah, you know, that wasn't so bad at all. Uh, and then you have the compensation picks to go along with it. And especially in a five round draft. I mean, obviously they couldn't have foreseen that. But I look, I was I was on board at the time, and I know that it wasn't a popular decision, but it doesn't look worse in retrospect. If anything, it looks better. Yeah, I mean, they basically got to draft 30% more players than, than other teams did, um, or even almost 50% more if you count them against the Houston Astros. Um, <laughs> and, and you think, oh, two players, that does make a big difference. But when you think about it as a percentage of players they were able to draft, um, Compared to other organizations, it is it's it's a big it's a big advantage, um, and you know they they have a couple players that they think they can move pretty quickly. And what what's kind of funny now they've got Patrick Bailey and Nick Swinney obviously formed a battery at North Carolina State, so they're familiar with one another. And uh, their teammate from not too long ago was Will Wilson, who was a first round pick last year, and uh, uh, of the Angels. And, and the Giants have him too because they traded for him at the winter meetings and, and took on a whole lot of dead Zach Cozart money basically uh, to take that first round pick off their hands. So it's kind of cool that those three guys are all together in, in the Giants organization and, and, and hopefully someday soon they can all walk into uh, uh, the same minor league complex. They form a wolf pack. Um, <laughs> <do>. Now, <laughs> let's pause to tell you about Hawthorne. Smelling good is important. Hawthorne smells really good. Getting Hawthorne cologne is so easy. Here's how it works. Take a quick two-minute quiz and Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you. One for work and one for play. Totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E. And dot .co, not dot .com. Hawthorne.co and use promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co Can you name, this is a trivia question, the, the Giants legend who was also a left-handed pitcher out of North Carolina State? I want to say it was Eric Surkamp, uh, a North Carolina State guy. You got it. That is good. Wow. That is, that is Jeopardy level. Uh, you have the control of the board now. Wow. Um, yeah, it was Eric Surkamp, Giants legend. He made seven starts for the Giants. I don't think any of them were very good. But, you know, he was a solid prospect. Uh, 
uh, for a long time. I think the Giants could have gotten value for him at, at one point, but they were more excited to fold him into the rotation. He had a, a really strong year in, in, in Double A one year, and everyone's thinking, okay, this guy's gonna this guy's gonna step up and be a back end starter. Uh, and I think that's the scouting report on Swinney. I don't think he's supposed to be Cy Young contending top of the rotation kind of guy, but someone who can move relatively quickly and give the Giants some value at the back end of a rotation. Is that right? I think so. I think so. And and if uh, if if not, then they'll Mike kick him to the curb. Oh, that's a good one. Darn it. Uh, you know, I saw Mike Kickham is still kicking around. He's still an organized ball, and he's actually he signed with someone this spring and and looked fairly good. Is that right? Yeah, I heard that too. And 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 you got me on the spot here. I don't remember exactly where it was. Was it even an international team? I don't quite remember. But uh, I, I tell you what, he's majors. he's an interesting guy. Mike Kickham, we you know when we were around him, he was a rookie trying to break in. You know, he's all in his own head and and dealing with all the anxieties of trying to prove he belongs in the big leagues. But sometimes as these guys get older, they let out more of their personality. And he's just a really interesting, really funny guy. Uh, so wherever he is, I hope he's doing well. Yeah, no, he he performed really well in the Mexican Pacific Winter League, which is some of the last baseball this planet has ever seen. And uh, he did really, really well. And, you know, it's not it's not quite that the winter league in Mexico is not as uh, bananas in terms of run scoring as as the regular Mexican league. Uh, but, you know, it's still fairly easy to score there. And he pitched himself into a minor league invite somewhere. And that, that's pretty darn good. Um, but I'm I'm look, all right. So we've talked about the Giants and, and all the, the, the strategy that goes into this and you've got to play games with the bonus money and all that. And, and then you've, you have, after just a five-round draft, you, you have all the, the players who might be willing to sign for the, uh, the $20,000 maximum. And it's kind of fun to talk about in a way because it's so different, but we should pause and just mention how completely gross it is and how many dreams were ripped away? How many players are going to go back to to college and play themselves into less money? And how many high school kids who would have started their professional careers are going to be fighting for jobs at the college level for, for scholarships? Uh, and it's not like they're increasing the number of scholarships out there. That's still going to be a finite number. And everything's just tougher for the, the person who wants to make baseball a career. And it's gross. Yeah, it, you know, it it really is. And we know that 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 MLB has wanted to shrink the minor leagues. We know that there is an effort by a lot of teams, really kind of ironically led by Jeff Luno, who was fired in, in disgrace, um, to sort of make the minor leagues more efficient. I mean, there's a lot of guys who play in a minor league system who are just organizational players who really have almost no shot of making the big leagues. And from uh, you know an organizational uh, sort of efficiency standpoint, I could totally see someone coming in as an outside consultant saying, "Look, this is really an inefficient way to go about your business of developing players." But when you cast a wider net, you get guys who are drafted in the twentieth round, twenty fifth round, sixtieth round, who become big leaguers. You know, you you give them access to more coaching, you give them access to more um, opportunity to play and 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 things unforeseen happens just like they happen on the field that's what makes baseball such a great game you can't quantify every every wobble of uh um 
uh, of, of, of the ball in flight. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a worse game if you have worse, if you have a, a smaller number of people uh, playing it, because you're still going to have people who fall by the wayside. Um, and, and I just feel for, you know, the guys who were looking forward to this draft and looking forward to starting their pro careers. I talked to Darren Baker, um, who hit fourth in the Cape Cod League. He hit almost, you know, 360 uh, in the Cape Cod League and and has gotten better every year he's been at Cal, Dusty Baker's son. And he was probably looking at being not not a 10th round pick, but maybe like a third to fifth round pick. But teams knew that if they drafted him there, they were going to have to give him, you know, a full slot. And and, and a lot of teams didn't want to do that. And so he went undrafted and uh, and told me that he didn't even need the cooling off period. He told teams, if I'm not drafted, I'm going back to school. He'll go back to Cal as a, a redshirt junior. Um, so maybe next year he can enter the draft and still have a little bit of leverage because he won't be a senior because he gets that year of eligibility back. But he's lucky. He knows he's lucky. He's got a place that he can play. You know, uh, there's a lot of uh, college seniors who, who are done, who are not going to be able to pick up a baseball again. There's a lot of high school seniors who don't have the scholarship opportunities or, or the chance to play um, at a college program because the incoming freshman class are still freshmen um, and there's only so many scholarships to go around. So it, it with all the things that baseball has tried to do to create opportunities for people to play the game and get you know kids who are athletic, uh, who are gifted to choose baseball, this is like they're just slapping them all in the face and saying, oh, no, we, we weren't serious about that. We, we just want to save money. And the other thing that I think is nutty is, and we can go into this, uh, was really interesting to see the letter um, that was published. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, this, this is from uh, Jack McGeary, who is one of the um, traveling embedded uh, analysts uh, who worked with Bruce Bochy the last two years. He's a Stanford guy. He played in the minor leagues. Um, and he wrote uh, basically a pitch letter uh, for why undrafted free agents should sign for the $20,000 bonus. And part of it is you want to pick an organization that, uh, first of all, this is really unique that you can pick your organization. You're not just drafted and, okay, I'm a tiger or whatever. Um, but you pick the one that's going to make you the best player and will make you the best player fast because you want to get service time fast. You don't want to be a 30-year-old free agent. It's left unsaid in here, but the game has basically devalued those players. Um, what it doesn't say is, oh yeah, you can maybe get to the big leagues in two years if you sign now, but it doesn't mention that there may be no big leagues in two years because <laughs> the collective bargaining agreement expires after 2021 and things, if you haven't been paying attention are not looking so good. I think a work stoppage is, is, is very, very possible. So it's, yeah, I, I feel bad for these kids who are going to get squeezed in, in, in more ways than one. It's easy to focus on the idea of Major League Baseball is missing out on all this future Major League talent that there are going to be players who would have been drafted who are just going to sort of drift away who might not have ever been uh, um, or who might have been big league stars or fan favorites or exciting players who would have improved the overall health of the game. But a scenario that I also kicked around in my head was, uh, let's take uh, the Giants' 35th round pick in the 2005 MLB draft. Uh, this guy, he never reached the majors with them. He did eventually reach the majors. Uh, he had a pretty good minor league career, probably deserved more of a chance. Uh, this is Antoine Richardson. And he didn't make his mark as a major league player. But now he's the Giants' first base coach. 
and he's still making his mark on the game and you're going to lose players like that guys like this who are who come up through the minor leagues and maybe they don't win that world series or hit the game winning home run but they stick around the game and they're a positive force within the game you're just shaving off a percentage of that it can't make the game better it can only make it worse it's just the whole idea of of saving money to this nth degree is just just uh, hedge fund nonsense that I don't think the game needs right now. And the other thing is, if you're going to make the draft so small and you're going to make the minor leagues so small, then people are just going to find the the players who are supposed to quote unquote make it. They're going to look for, um, they're not going to look for the, the people who are a little bit different. And they always say baseball is such a beautiful game because anyone can play it. Well, they're basically setting up a system where not everybody can play it, uh, and people of different shapes and, and sizes won't be able to play it because they're only going to go for the safe picks and the safe, you know, body types. And if you are, you happen to be, um, oh, I don't know, uh, a right-hander who stands five foot ten and weighs one hundred and seventy pounds, and you grow up in Brawley, California, and go to Alabama State and Colorado Mesa University and Arizona Western College and the University of North Alabama and bounce around and you're a 28th round pick uh, and you get to the big leagues and, oh, by the way, you strike out a triple crown winner to clinch a World Series. That's what Sergio frickin' Romo did. And you you better believe that the way baseball is going, a Sergio Romo has no chance to be a big league player. None. The way, the way that... Uh, uh, player development is going. And that's just going to make the game more homogenous and, and less interesting. And it's going to decrease the overall talent level. It's going to be, uh, you know, I think baseball players will continue getting better just because that's been the trend in every single sport for the most part. That's with advancing technology and knowledge, just athletes get better and they're going to run faster, throw harder, what, what have you. Uh, but it's going to it's not going to be as good as it could be. And it just seems so short-sighted to to focus on this. And, and I guess it's the logical endpoint for when you treat players like widgets that you're going to want, uh, uh, you know, production costs to be lower on those widgets. But it's also bizarre in that the whole system of baseball is so rigged against the young player where they're going to be the most productive. They're going to be the players who generally stay healthier and provide the most value in their mid to late 20s at the time when they're also the cheapest. And like baseball, the whole thing is rigged against young players and they're like the gold of baseball. They are the precious gems. And you're going to create a pool of fewer young players. I don't understand that. You should have you should have the widest net possible of young players. They don't make anything. You're, yeah, this is yeah. a pittance and just get that large pool. And maybe they're just trying to deflect the responsibility elsewhere uh, to colleges chiefly to develop players for them, kind of like they do, you know, in uh, in football and, and basketball. And, you know, if, if I can try to be a little bit hopeful in terms of finding an equilibrium, maybe there is an equilibrium out there and maybe it'll be filled by more indie leagues. And uh, a lot of the teams that lose minor league franchises will be able to reinvent themselves in a way that will be sustainable and 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 fan friendly and, and who knows maybe it'll even be better uh to, to to some of these indie leagues maybe there'll be even a better fan experience than uh than affiliated leagues so 
Uh, and maybe people will get an opportunity to play that way. Now, you know they're not going to get paid very much, uh, and they're going to have to have a whole lot of other things, support structures in their lives, which many of them won't have to be able to further their baseball careers. Um, and maybe they won't have access to the same stuff they would as uh, for, if you're in an affiliated ball. But at least there may be a chance for somebody to have a locker and a uniform and a place to field some grounders uh, in indie leagues. So, you know, if, if, the, if, if there's demand and if, if there's interest, um, I guess, uh, you know, not to be too Jeff Goldblum, but maybe nature will find a way. <laughs> Let's take a quick time out to tell you about Dugout Mugs, a company that started in a college dugout. Licensed by Major League Baseball, your favorite team laser engraved onto a birchwood baseball bat barrel mug. Perfect for the big game to put on display or to be the life of the party. Unique gift for a baseball fan. Go to dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and use promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and code MLB30. Fill that baseball void with your very own dugout mug today. Uh, now, have you heard anything? Let, let's let's get uh, let's get a little happier. Let, let's talk about Casey Schmidt. Wait, are the, you the, not going to do your Jeff Goldblum impression? Uh, I think I've done it, but uh, I guess uh, yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> are we going to talk about uh, Casey Schmidt? Casey Schmidt, he's the Giants' the 49th pick. He's, uh, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> that's the only reason I made that reference was to tee you up. Life will love, it'll find a way. Um, no, let's talk about the 49th pick overall. Casey Schmidt, third baseman, San Diego State, slash right-handed reliever, closer type fella. Um, now, the Giants announced him as a third baseman. It sounds as if that will be his focus. Did you get any sense that they're looking to do like uh, one of these neo weird things where they use him as a hybrid player until he flames out? Like I think uh, Brendan McKay is one. Um, the Giants have any exciting plans for him or is that just something he has in the back pocket? Yeah, so it's funny, you know, I, I'm day two of the draft and I'm like, okay, what's my narrative going to be? What kind of weirdness is Farhan going to do here? Uh, what what's what is what kind of tricks does Michael Holmes have up his sleeves? We've got a, a, a catcher we didn't expect, but he's a switch hitter. He could, you know, they could reinvent the position. I'm just looking for all the creative things they're going to do. And the first pick is a two-way player. And I'm like, aha, here we go. This is it. They're going to just completely um, uh, reinvent uh, – uh, roster flexibility and, and take it into a new millennium, and uh, and and they here they draft a, a switch a switch player a two way player with their f- uh, second round pick, and then we get on the on the Zoom call uh, with Michael Holmes and, and Farhan, and they said no, you know we pretty much see him as a third baseman. We think he's an everyday player. That's his value. He's got a great arm that serves him well at third base. Wouldn't rule out pitching, but you know we this is a pick that we made because of the bat and because we love his defense at third base. And you think, oh, okay, well that's a little less sexy, but but you know it's uh, and we got to remember just because you're a closer in college, ahem, Buster Posey, doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be a two way player. Um, it's not as uncommon as you think, but uh, but yeah, you know if if. If uh, if the Giants need somebody to come in and and pitch a, a blowout inning, uh, and and Brandon Belt hasn't already you know uh, beaten everybody to the mound and grabbed the baseball, then then maybe it could be Casey Schmidt. Uh, I'm choosing to believe that Brandon Belt pitched this year. 
in the the season that I have in my head, uh, the Giants, they probably still lose 90 games, but Brandon Belt pitched. That's what Please. I've got in my head. It's yeah. really owed to him. And you know what? I, I can see Gabe Kapler being someone who would let him do it because he really let a lot of position players pitch with uh, the Phillies. So I think that there's that going in Brandon Belt's corner. And also... I do think that Kapler kind of, I think he's a little bit more of a player's manager than than, than maybe his reputation uh, lets on. I, I think he really does like to, to, to see guys do stuff that they really enjoy and be put in positions where they can have some fun when possible. And uh, I, I'll bet you, I'll bet you, yeah, that if, if this were a full season, Brandon Belt would have been on the mound at some point. All right. So overall... Your interpretation or your perception of the draft, it was very just normal. Like it's, it's, there weren't trapeze acts and, and, you know, flaming hoops. It was just kind of a, we liked the left-hander because he gave us cost certainty. And we liked this left-hander because we thought he had a high ceiling and it was pretty standard. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, it, it was a very conventional sort of draft. There's nothing in there that makes you go, like, I think if they had, had gotten a player like Zach Veen had gotten to them, he just looks like an exciting player. I mean, he almost looks right. like a little little Hunter Pence. You know, he's got those big long levers. Um, you know, and Asa Lacey, first of all, great name. Uh, yes. But you, you watch some of these guys and you think, okay, these are future stars. Uh, picking 13th, you probably don't have um, much many of those guys left. Um, I really couldn't tell you, oh, they screwed up. They should have you know, looked at this instead of that. I mean, we're, we're all spitballing on this stuff. Uh, I, I, I'm happy to cede this territory to the people who do it a lot better than I possibly could. And, and they don't know either. So, um, and, and then in addition to the people they drafted, they've got Carter Williams, an outfielder from North Carolina Central. And also they've signed Ty Weber, a right-handed pitcher from Oh, I won't hold it against him that he's University of Illinois, but uh, that's where he's from. So, um, is is that a uh, rival to Northwestern? It, yeah, yeah, it is. It is as, as much as we have one. Um, I, I would say if if you know our program uh, and our fans, we really love to be Iowa more than anybody else. Um, but Illinois is is considered our our rival, and and. What really hacks off Illinois is that we put billboards all around Chicago that says Chicago's Big Ten team. They do not like that at all. <laughs> uh, hold on. I'm Googling something real quick. Uh, San Jose State rivals. <laughs> ah, Fresno State. Oh, I hate Ooh. Fresno State. How dare you, Aaron Judge? Uh, you know, I actually, um, my first sports writing that I ever did was when I was at Southern Oregon University. And so I know that the Oregon Institute of Technology, now I know that rivalry because OIT and in Southern Oregon do not like each other. And it was fun. I covered the basketball team up there. And those games were fun. They were really, really fun. Uh, uh, SRU has become a real powerhouse in the NAIA and a lot of sports. But back then, they weren't. And it, I loved those games, the OIT uh, SOU games. I just, just a ton of fun. So that would be the the red-tailed hawks. Is that what they are? Uh, the Southern Oregon Raiders. Oh, um, and then OIT was a, oh gosh, what were they? They were the Falcons, maybe. 
Um, Klamath Falls, uh, which was in the news recently for less savory reasons, but um, yeah, that I like. I like a good rivalry, even when it's between teams that maybe people listening to this podcast didn't even know there was an Oregon Institute of Technology. Um, but it, it, it any rivalry is fun. I just didn't know about Fresno State and San Jose State. What kind of technology would they study up at the? Uh Technology Institute of Oregon. I do know something about this. Uh, Klamath Falls is built on, and I, well, I should probably check this, but I believe over one of the largest geothermal um, power grids in the country. Uh, yeah, geothermal heating. It's a known geothermal resource area. Uh, it's been, geothermal power has been used in the area since the early 1900s. A downtown heating system uh, was constructed in 1981. So that's actually really cool. Yeah, a gigantic geothermal heating system for the, for the town. Um, so yeah, study that technology, get dorks. Interesting, interesting. Hmm. I, d- I do not know much about geothermal energy other than it's just like a, a bunch of superheated steam, right? Yeah. No, I know a lot about Klamath Falls uh, just because I have a lot of friends from Klamath Falls from when I went to SOU. Uh, interesting, interesting, interesting place. I will leave it at that. All right. Well, this, has <laughs> been, this has been episode 77 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Tanika Smothers for guiding us along the way and producing us. We will be back on Thursday and we'll talk hopefully about the baseball season that was just announced. Cross your fingers.